0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. It's great to see you online, or I really can't see you, but I suppose you can see me. Uh, it's just wonderful to be able to get together and worship the Lord today. And today I'm going to be talking, uh, in the, uh, give the next message in our series, uh, which we're calling Encounter. The, the idea is we want to rediscover the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We want to uh, freshly understand, or maybe for the first time, come to understand who he is and what he's done. And so today I want to talk about uh, the forgotten work of the Spirit. Now, maybe not entirely forgotten, but I would say largely forgotten, it's one of the most powerful things that the Holy Spirit does, and yet we don't talk a lot about it. Uh, we don't lo- talk about a lot about what he has done in this area, uh, and it's going to be, I hope, a refreshing reminder for you out of uh, Romans chapter 8 this morning. Now, if I were to ask you today, what does the Holy Spirit do in your life? If I were to ask you, what is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. As a Christian, if I ask you this as a Christian, and we're to say, if you think about what the Holy Spirit does in you, what comes to mind? I'm sure a number of us would say, well, the new birth comes to mind. The birth, I'm I'm born again by the Holy Spirit, and that would be true. Or maybe you would say, the Holy Spirit's changing me to make me more like Jesus Uh, that's what the Bible calls sanctification. So the Holy Spirit's sanctifying me, maybe you would say. Or maybe you would say something about the fruit of the Spirit. Caleb preached on that last week. Maybe you'd say, well, the Holy Spirit, what does he do in my life? He's making me more loving. That would be a great answer and a great recognition of his work. Some of us might refer to the gifts of the Spirit. What does the Spirit do in my life? Well, there's gifts. He, He gives gifts, and I experience those. Some might speak of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. How do I know the Holy Spirit's alive and in me? Well, I feel convicted uh, about certain sins. uh, The work of conviction is the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're going through a hard time, maybe even grieving, and you'd say, well, the work of the Holy Spirit I'm most aware of today is the comfort. After all, he's called the comforter. So maybe say, it's the comfort of the Holy Spirit that I am aware of. But I'm guessing most of us would not quickly identify this most powerful work of the Spirit or one of the most powerful works that we find in Romans 8. Uh, Let's look in verses 12 through 17. I'm going to read 12 through 17, but really primarily teach 15 through 17. So let's read together, look together at God's holy word. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, did you catch in that passage how the Holy Spirit is identified? Often we know the name, the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, but here he's called The spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. The spirit makes us children of God. It is one of the most powerful, life-changing. If we grasp this, or better said, if this truth grasps us, it will change everything about our Christian life. It will change everything about the way you view God, the way you view yourself, and the way you view your life adopted by God the spirit makes us children of God and then he conveys to us he gives to us the benefits of adoption he gives us the benefits of the spirit makes us children of God and then he empowers us to live like children of God to experience the father God and to live a life in his family Now verse 14 says, all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So it ties the spirit there to being a child or a son of God. Uh, When it says to all who are led by the Spirit, he's not talking about being led in the sense of like having promptings of the Spirit or the Spirit helping you in decision-making or something like that. He's really referring to what he talks about in the previous two verses that we read, verses 12 and 13. He's drawing this contrast between living in the flesh, which means according to our sinful nature, and living in the Spirit. So you can live in the flesh, live for yourself, live selfishly, live absent of God, Or you can live in the spirit. And people who live in the Spirit, people who have the Spirit, are the children of God. That's what he says in verse 12 to 13. So what he's saying is that being a Spirit person, being a born-again person, having the Spirit of God indwell you is to be a child of God. He's comparing these two ideas of being a child of God and having the Spirit. And he's making the point that when we trust Jesus as our Savior, the Spirit not only uh, gives us new life, he not only saves us. He not only makes us a new creation, those are all New Testament ideas, he not only gives us new birth, that's a New Testament idea, but he brings us into God's family. So we trust Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, and what happens is we're brought into his family, no longer owing the sinful nature, living according to sinful nature, but empowered by the Spirit to live a new life. And so that means that you could define yourself as, as a lot of ways as a Christian, I'm born again, I'm saved. I'm a new person. But your core identity, according to this section of Scripture, your core identity is child of God. I don't care how you feel today. I don't care what happened in your life this week, how great or how terrible it was. If you believed in Jesus and you have new life, you are a child of God. God is not just some distant judge, but he's your father. And that changes everything. It just cha- And it makes Christianity... The claims of Christianity, very unique. Now, you can believe these claims or not believe these claims, but you must admit that these claims put Christianity in a unique place to say that the God of the universe who will judge all humanity at the end of time, that wouldn't be a completely foreign idea to other religions, but that that God is now our Father. He lives in us, and His Spirit makes us His child, and we relate to Him as a dad. That is unheard of. It's, it's, it's unique. It's, it's a, a bold claim that Paul makes here, a, tr- a true claim from the Word of God. It's the most fundamental truth about you. And here's the deal. It's the key to understanding the Christian life and living a fruitful Christian life. There's a, very few, there's a very short list of books that I would say are must-reads as a Christian, besides the Bible. But if I had a list of must-reads, on that list would be a book called Knowing God, written by J.I. Packer. Uh, it's written in about 1970 or somewhere in the 70s, so it's 50 years old. He's still living. But this is a statement he makes in that book, which is so powerful. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Christianity is a relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, what are these various sort of benefits that make a difference in our life of being adopted, being a child of God? I think in the verses we just read, particularly verses 15 through 17, there's four of them that I see. There may be more, but there's at least four. Here's the first one. Because we are God's children, we have freedom. Because we are God's children, we have freedom. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So Paul's comparing two things that we don't think of as opposites, typically. But two things, slavery and ado- a child, ado- adoption as sons, being an adopted person. Slavery and adoption. We don't usually put those at odds, but he does here. He says, you don't have the spirit of slavery, you have the spirit of adoption. Now, slavery is the harshest imaginable, status in life, station in life, to be a slave, to be enslaved as a person means that, that you lose your freedom, right? And that someone else controls your life. But he contrasts that with adoption. So the image of adoption is not the harshest way of life. It's one of the warmest images we can imagine. It, there's, adoption communicates provision, care, security, and inclusion within a family. And he's saying that becoming a Christian rescues you from slavery and puts you into God's family, makes you a child of God with God as your father. On the other hand, slavery, he says, we don't fall back into fear. The spirit of slavery fall back into fear. Life as a slave is life lived in the terror of punishment. If a slave disobeys, a slave is punished. And so it is a life of fundamentally of insecurity, a life of fear of what will happen, a life of terror of if you break the rules, you are punished. And he's saying, that's not the Christian life. You don't live as an enslaved person. You don't live a life of fear that God is going to get you. Before, your life was defined by fear. Fearing judgment, Uh Subject to all kinds of fears because you had no protection. But now the Holy Spirit enables you to know and experience the security of God the Father. And so that that mitigates fear. That attacks fear. That says you don't have to live your life worried that God is going to harm you in some way or that you're left alone to face the elements of life on yourself. You have a new identity, child of God, with the Father over all as your father, and there's a freedom in that. There's a freedom. There's a freedom, first of all, from judgment. The whole chapter begins, there is, no, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The whole theme of the chapter is you're not condemned if you're in Christ. So there's a freedom from judgment. But the chapter ends with a freedom from the difficulty of circumstances. It says in verse, uh, or, or persecutions even, it says in verse 35 of this chapter, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So it begins, you have no fear of judgment, wrath, condemnation from God if you're in Christ. He's your father. And it ends with, you have no fear of the things of this earth which could even take your life but could never separate you. From the love of God. Therefore, we're not living a life enslaved to fear. We live a life free as children of God. That's how he designed the Christian life. Because we are children, we are free. Number two, because we are children, we have access. We have access. Um, Verse 15 again. uh, The spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We cry to our Father. You know, I don't have little kids at home anymore. I have grandkids that that come over, I see frequently. But I don't have little kids at home anymore. But I was remembering back to when I did have little kids at home, and I was thinking about uh, this season that we've been living in when so many work from home. Now, if you are a dad with little kids, toddlers, three-, four-, five-year-olds, young ones, uh, you know i 'm assuming l- working from home if you are i 'm assuming that 's a blessing uh, i hope it 's a bl- <laughs> blessing uh, but one of the big blessings that you have lost working from home is is the highlight of every dad of a little kid 's day it 's when the work day is over and you drive home and the little kids are at the front window uh, you know waiting for daddy to come in the front door or climb up the stairs at the apartment, wherever you live, and waiting for daddy to come. And as soon as dad opens the door, daddy, they're yelling and they're running and they're grabbing your legs. It's that moment of the day that I think when you work at home, you don't get. It's that moment of the day where, oh, I'm so glad to see you. They come running and crying to dad, crying out in joy, maybe crying to tell on someone as well, but crying out in joy, dad, you're home. That moment. That's a picture of what he says here. The Spirit allows us to call, enables us, empowers us to call God Father, Abba Father. If this wasn't in the Bible, I would never teach this because I would be afraid of being struck down. I mean, it sounds almost sacrilegious to speak of God this way. I mean, it's a breathtaking intimacy. Abba Father. Abba was a Jewish name for father. It was a Familial name, a familiar name, a warm name, a term of endearment. Probably the closest thing we have in English would be like dad. Maybe a little kid would say daddy, but adults use this term as well of their father. So maybe dad, pop, papa, whatever term you use in your in your house. But it's an endearing, uh, close name, dad. We're allowed to call the God of the universe, the holy God of the universe that will condemn sin for eternity. We're allowed to call that God, Father. The God who spoke in the creation came to be. We call that God, Dad, is what the scripture says here. And Jesus is the one who introduced this. In the garden of Gethsemane, and uh, the night before his death, Jesus prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus had this relationship with the Father, Abba, Father. And now that we have believed in Christ, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're a new person, you are in Christ, you're joined to Christ, and now you have that same connection. This is unfathomable truth here we have the same connection with the father that jesus does call him by the same name abba father jesus not only taught us to pray jesus not only related to god that way but he sends the spirit the spirit of adoption to reconcile us to the father to give us access to the father our dad just as he has and the terminology here just reminds us that not only we have access, but we are loved and cared for, protected, and fed. Uh, we are, uh, we, we are uh, guided. We're corrected. We're corrected. We're encouraged, we're embraced by God Almighty. In these days where there's so much isolation and angst and fear, This God wants this truth to land on your heart this morning, I believe. That you are fed, cared for, loved, welcomed, embraced by the Father, the God, the holy God of the universe. When Isaiah sees him, he says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I am undone. Seeing the blazing holiness of God led him to say, I'm undone. That's all true. But because Christ died for our sins and reconciled us to the Father, we now can not only say, Holy God, but Abba, Father God, as well. And we need this in this day. We, we need the nearness of the Father to know that we are free from condemnation. But more than that, I mean, the, the truth of justification is great. There's therefore now no condemnation. We're declared righteous. We are not condemned. That's great. But this is arguably maybe not better, but it's warmer that we are adopted and part of his family. Both are true. Both, true, both truths are, should make us sing. But this one's just glorious. I wonder today, do you think about God as your father? Do you think about God as your loving father? You know, perhaps your father was absent growing up, or maybe not absent. Maybe your father was harmful to you in some way. And so you hear this term and you go, "Ah, oh, boy, that, something grates on me to think of God as father, because that's not an endearing idea. That's, uh, that's a bit repulsive to me based on my, the way my dad treated me or was absent in my life. You know, if you feel that way, that is very understandable that this would be a hard concept based on your personal experience. That, that makes sense to, to me, to us. That, that's understandable. But you know what? I want to hold out for you that I believe this passage has a promise for you. That the Holy Spirit can not only save you and give you new life, but give you a new identity. That before your earthly father, maybe your identity was growing up was unloved, or even worse, rejected, or even worse, abused. Maybe that was your identity growing up when you thought about a father. The Holy Spirit, I believe, wants to. Give you a new identity. He wants you to see God the Heavenly Father in a way that is unimaginable to you this morning. He wants you to experience, he wants to transform your mind. The Holy Spirit transforms our mind, transforms our thinking, actually even can transform our affections so that we feel things we've never felt before. The Holy Spirit does that. And and I believe that this is possible, that God wants you to experience his love in a way maybe you never have before. Your loving Heavenly Father welcomed before him. Could you just ask for that this morning? Maybe you don't want to come running. Maybe you never came running to dad when he came home from work in the example I gave earlier. But the Lord wants you to run to your heavenly father whose arms are open wide. Could we just pray and ask for you that if that's your situation, that the God of the universe who erased your sins, who declares you righteous, who gave you new life, is anything too hard for him? I'm not saying this is easy and you have to snap and change in a moment. Of course not. But could we trust that the Holy Spirit could transform your very heart and vision and how you look at God? Let's pray. For that, because you have access to the Father like all other believers. You are not limited. You are not uh, disadvantaged in relating to God based on how you grew up or how you related to your earthly Father. God does not disadvantage you. You are adopted like anybody who has faith in Jesus. Because we are children, we have freedom. Because we are children, we have access. Because we are children, His children, we have assurance. Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is one of the most powerful works that the Holy Spirit does. Grants us assurance. Assurance that he's our Father. Assurance that our sins are forgiven. Assurance that we're in relationship with God the Father. Um, If you struggle with assurance of your salvation... I'd like to let you in on a little secret. I don't don't know if this is a secret for you or not, but I'd like to let you in on what I think is a little secret. This is very common. You feel I wrestle with assurance, and maybe you're embarrassed to bring that up in community group. Maybe you're embarrassed to share that with somebody because you think I'm the only one in the room or the only one online or, you know, the only Christian. I'm ashamed that I wrestle with my assurance, you know. And so oftentimes people don't talk about this. But I find in counseling people over the years that many people wrestle with assurance. And sometimes very seasoned believers wrestle with assurance. And one reason is because they have they have a higher view of the holiness of God uh, and a more realistic view of themselves. And sometimes that understanding, uh, they don't grasp grace, uh, uh, you know. in a a way that God wants. And so we we see God and we see ourselves and say, I'm not sure I'm a believer. But if you have wrestled, I, I want to encourage you as well that I think assurance is not only possible, but I think it's actually God's plan for the believer and one of the reasons he gives us the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we really would be left to our own thinking and our own mind. But the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is to convey to you the confidence that God is your Father, your sins are forgiven, Jesus loves you, uh, you uh, there's no condemnation for you, and you're in right relationship with God based on what Christ has done received by faith. So this is something that the Holy Spirit does for us. How does the Holy Spirit give us assurance? It says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Now, historically, there's been two ways to understand this. One is that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit, which is how the ESV translates this. Another view is that the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit. So there's a, there's a slight difference in those. With our spirit would be this. The Holy Spirit comes along and he takes our thinking. As we read the scripture, um, he takes our thinking and he convinces us, as we think about the character of God and the work of Christ on the cross, he convinces us that we really are his, that we've received him by faith, and that we really are his. So that's kind of an indirect approach. The Holy Spirit takes what we read, what we think, and and he convinces us in our heart that we are in fact child of God the other idea is a direct approach that the Holy Spirit communicates directly to our spirit and assures us and affirms to us that we really do know God you know the the country preachers ask how do you know and he says well I just know in my knower That's the idea. I have a knower, and I just know in my knower because the Holy Spirit communicated to me that indeed I am his child. Um, Well, both are true. I believe both are accurate. I mean, assurance certainly comes from the objective work of Christ and not me internally. It comes from the work of Christ. It is the scripture that convinces us of his work, and we receive that by faith. So when we read the scripture, it tells us what happened outside of us objectively, and it gives us assurance. When we receive communion, I believe a purpose of communion, uh, which we'll receive shortly, is that when you hold the elements, you are reminded that my salvation is based on something that happened outside of me. And it's a confirming reminder that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're his children. I think if we look at our lives and see evidence, or somebody points out evidence of the God at work in our lives, okay, that's an objective reminder. Wow, I was this way 10 years ago. I'm this way now. i got a long way to go, but boy, I'm not what I was and the Holy Spirit's at work. So those kinds of things uh, are evidences that point us uh, that God is at work and that we are his children. So the Spirit takes the word and sacrament And I believe even evidence in our own life and uses those to assure us. The primary one, I believe, is the scripture that he uses to assure us that we are his children. But I believe that he also directly convinces us. I believe we need a category for the Holy Spirit bearing witness to us, assuring us, of our adoption, securing our hearts, imparting the experienced love of God the Father. This isn't all just an intellectual exercise. There's something, it's truth, it's, it is objective, rational truth, but it bears in us an internal, subjective sense of reality as well that grants a rest to our soul. God wants you to have a rest, a a peace in your soul from the tormenting questions of assurance. That there's just this supernatural peace that he gives. The basis, again, I want to be very careful there. The basis of our assurance is found in the work of Christ revealed to us in Scripture. The death and resurrection of Christ. But there is an internal experiential work of the Spirit which gives us a settling peace of assurance. And so I want to read to you a quote, which I found very helpful about this. And I didn't go find a quote from a charismatic or someone who's, you know, uh, really leaning into subjective experiences. I wanted to find a good, like, smart Presbyterian. So that's what I found. I'm reading you a quote from a guy who's with the Lord now, Dr. James Montgomery. I'm sorry, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce. uh, Boyce's last name, James Montgomery Boyce, um, who... I, I, I listened to him when he was alive, but I don't know him to be a super, super touchy-feely, charismatic guy. But this is what he writes about Romans eight sixteen, which I think is so true, the verse we just read. Again, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen to this with faith of what the Lord could do in you. I am convinced that Romans eight sixteen teaches that there is such a thing as a direct witness of the Holy Spirit to believers that they are sons or daughters of God. In other words, it is possible to have a genuine experience of the Holy Spirit in one's heart. Experience the Spirit, I know the objections. I know that no spiritual experience is ever necessarily valid in itself. Any such experience can be counterfeited, and the devil's counterfeits can be very good indeed. But the fact that a spiritual experience can be counterfeited does not invalidate it at all. I also know that those who seek experiences of the Spirit frequently run to excess and fall into unbiblical ideas and practices. Every such experience must be tested by Scripture. But in spite of these objections, which are important, he's building a lot of fences, which are important, I still say there can be a direct experience of the Spirit that is valid testimony to the fact that one is truly God's child. Haven't you ever had such an experience? An overwhelming sense of God's presence. Or haven't you at some point, perhaps many points in your life, been aware that God has come upon you in a special way. And that there's no doubt whatever that what you are experiencing is from God. You may have been moved to tears. You may have deeply felt some other sign of God's presence by which you were certainly moved to a greater and more wonderful love for him. It's that experience of the Spirit which leads us to cry, Abba, Father, which leads us to say, I know I'm his child because of what Christ has done for me. If you would say, boy, I've never ever experienced any, experience like that that describes where I sense the Spirit communicating that to me. If that's the case, it may be because you haven't. Maybe you never have really experienced uh, the Holy Spirit and become a Christian. If that's the case, you start with trusting Him as your Savior. Um, That's kind of where it all begins. If you've never experienced forgiveness from Him, put your trust in Him. But if you have trusted him and you still wrestle then I believe you should pray that Lord this verse memorize this verse Holy Spirit would you please bear witness with my spirit read passages about the death and resurrection of Christ and and look at Jesus and and ask the Lord in fact to confirm his spirit you can read books you can seek counsel you can receive prayer from a pastor or a mature Christian uh, you can do all those things, but at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit must grip your heart with his reality that you are God the Father. So we look we look to him. And this is important. Assurance is, is vital because it positions us to growth. When we lack assurance, we often grow very little because we're always looking inward. We're always evaluating. We're always plucking, you know, The leaves. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. We don't know. Am I in Christ? Christian, not. Christian, you know, born again, not born again. We're just living in this tormenting kind of a way. And I believe God wants to free us from that because when we have a sense of confidence in Christ, there is a peace in our soul, an assurance that we can begin to then live out the blessings of being his child. The huge blessings like freedom. There's no freedom when you're stuck looking inside. Huge blessings like access. We're not gaining access and going to the Father, Abba Father, if we don't know we're His child. So He gives assurance. I just want to hold a very lofty hope that, that uh, not lofty and it's distant, that's probably not the best way to say it. I want to hold out the very real hope that God indeed does give assurance. Lastly, and we'll finish here, because we are children, we are heirs. Verse 17, and children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we're heirs. Now, an heir is someone, uh, children are heirs of their parents. Uh, So you receive an inheritance from your parents. You are an heir. In Paul's day in Rome, frequently people adopted a primary purpose of adoption was to have an heir. So if a couple had, had no, or even a single parent had no child to pass on their name and their, the family farm or whatever it was, they would often adopt so that they had an heir. A very purpose of adoption was to welcome a child into the family, but also to pass on to them all that you had. And so the idea of being an heir and being adopted or tied culturally in the world that Paul is writing to and it's tied here as well spiritually. He says we are heirs of God. What is our inheritance? Well, it's certainly forgiveness. There's no condemnation. It's certainly adoption. God is our Father. It's certainly he is with us in all the challenges of life, all of those truths. His Spirit lives in us. Those are all blessings. But the ultimate blessing of inheritance is not what we get from God, but that we get God himself. Heirs of God. God himself dwells in us. We have God. We know God. We are children of God. Now, very quickly, he says, oh, by the way, you will suffer, you know, as long as we suffer with him. So there's suffering in this life. But we look forward. We have him now, and we look forward to the day when we will see him face to face. And we will inherit not only him, but a new heavens and a new earth. the the Life as it was made to be. So there is this glorious truth that awaits us. God himself is the greatest treasure of adoption. In the moment we suffer, but even our sufferings are redemptive. We suffer in order that we may be glorified. That means to be resurrected with him. So we suffer with Christ. It proves that we're his children. And one day we'll be resurrected with him. So let's just take this in for just a moment as we wrap up. Adopted. What does it mean? Because we're his children, we have freedom. Because we're his children, we have access and a new relationship, Abba, Father. Because we're his children, we have assurance. We can have assurance. Because we're his children, we have heirs. We get God himself and we'll one day be with him forever and ever, glorified with him. That's how the passage ends. If you really believe that, How would your life be different? How might my life be different if I lived in the good of these truths, this often forgotten work of the Spirit, the Spirit of adoption? What would it do to my confidence before God and in my callings in life? Not arrogance, confidence in God. What would it do to my fears if I really believe nothing can separate me Tribulation, famine, persecution, it goes through like the worst things. You know, the worst things, you know, starvation, famine, like no food, food, persecution, peril, sword, you know, uh, all these terrible things. Never separated from the love of God, always loved by him. How would it address my fears if I really, if God gripped me with the truth of being his son or daughter? How would it affect? How would it, how would it change my relationship with God daily? How would I talk to God? How would I read his word? How would I go into my day fulfilling my various responsibilities knowing I'm a child of God? He's with me. He loves me. He's caring for me. He's providing for me even when I blow it, which I will today. Absolutely. Even when I sin, he's my father forgiving me, reconciling me, patient with me, always working in my life. As a heavenly father, when we get this concept and when we live in the good of it, it begins to change the tra- trajectory of our lives. I'm gonna close with this quote and then I'll pray. Um, Pastor Derek Thomas wrote this. He says, what we need in order to engage in biblical holiness, let me just, just life change to be holy, but to grow in holiness, we might say. What we need in order to engage in biblical holiness is a right understanding of who we are. If we forget who we are, we will fail to be what we should be. If I forget I'm a child of God, I live according to the flesh. I'll live for me. But if by God's grace, I remember and treasure and, and, and implement the very blessings and benefits of being his child. How my life will look, sound, feel, and be experienced differently. May God emblazon this truth in our hearts today. Child of God. I'm in a room of children of God. That's our identity. That is the promise. Let's pray.